this is Don Bluth, and you're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 87, Secret of Nim. Too many jade names. Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. And tonight, the part of Mrs. Brisby will be played by Morgan Stradling, that is me. The part of Jenner will be played by Mason Smith, (laughs) and the part of Timmy will be played by Chelsea Robson. Hi, everyone. She's sick. (laughs) This is actually me not trying to sound bad, I promise. Oh man! It sounds Poor horrible. Chelsea. You need a we, magic uh, potion. Got a, I do. We got a diagnosis from Mister Ages, and she has pneumonia. <laughs> I don't. I just have yep. a horrible head cold. But oh, that means day. we have to we have to fly the medicine and escape a cat all just to <laughs> bring it to her. Picture Chelsea. She's like a pathetic, sick little chipmunk, you know, in a bed, you know. <laughs> Thank you. They're not this even is the second dogs, movie nice. where there's been a sick child. In a oh, row. Are, in in a true. row. This is our second sick rodent and uh, <laughs> a parent slash guardian singing over them movie yeah, in a I row. Someone copied and it was not Secret of Nim. <laughs> yeah, I think it was fraud. Why all these. Um, well, we did do a Mice and Rat series, so what else are you going to do? That's really the only plot line you can come up with in, in a movie that features mice or rats is someone's sick. You gotta sing to them. <laughs> mice, are always, mice are always sick. Yeah. Plague rats. <laughs> Either the that or they're just like test rats. Yeah. Which this one has both. Yeah. All right, guys. So for those of you who are new to our show, the Animation Addicts podcast is a podcast all about the wonderful world of animation. Specifically, we focus on animated movies. And each episode, we review a movie past or present, and we give our thoughts about it. We basically are three friends, and we get together. We love to talk about animation. We love to discuss the films. We really respect the medium in what it can do to provide and tell stories. So that's what the Animation Addicts podcast is about. And in case you haven't been able to figure out, the movie that we are talking about is The Secret of Nim. Now, we are at the very tail end of the Mice and Rats series. That oh! I know. I know. It's good. <laughs> And basically, each for a series of episodes in a row, we've been covering movies that have mice and or rats. In this case, we have both. So it's perfect culmination for the Mice and Rats series. Um, Secret of Nim, obviously, is the most requested Mice and Rats movie. Uh, but we saved it for last because we just wanted to torture you like that. Oh, man. We're finally done with the Mice and Rats series. Guys, how do you feel about that? Great. Grand. Wonderful. <laughs> Yay. All right, well, let's dive into it. Why have you come? My son's life is in great danger. Your son has pneumonia. I came here to inform you that the frost is off the ground and moving day is at hand. Prepare to move your very, very odd family. Come early this year. Move your family. Timothy has pneumonia. He can't even get out of bed. There is a way. 
dear. A man came by today from Nim. Nim? Yes, you know, the National Institute of Mental Health. He was asking if we had noticed anything strange with the rats on the farm. May I present to Justin, the captain of the guard. It's Jenner. He's at it again. Oh, that blows no wind. He's before the council now. This time he's attacking Nicodemus openly. And the plan, no doubt. Nothing will come. It'll pass. Beware, boy. He's dangerous. It would be the undoing of the rats of him. We stay here, humans are bound to discover us. Then destroy us on the spot. I agree. He's right. We'll be killed. Not if we got them first. He means war. We'd be outnumbered. There are many of them. Hear me. The Thorn Valley plan is the aspiration of idiots and dreamers. Wait, my friend. I smell an opportunity. What? Maneuvers of this nature are dangerous. Accidents. One night, I looked upon the words under the cage door and understood them. I've learned this much. Take what you can. When you can, then you'll learn nothing. who say Nim Nim <laughs> Nim a shrubbery anyway you know you know it's Don Bluth when you have that uh, dreamy choir in the opening sequence of, oh, oh, oh. Well, wait, hey, I'm, no, I'm going back off, to our last Don Bluth movie <laughs> yeah so I just wanted to give uh, a little bit of a shout out to the YouTube account ELO1138. I was actually online looking for different trailers to be able to put into this episode. And can I just say also, um, yeah, 1982, you really got it. You didn't know how to make trailers at all. They all sucked. So I was looking for different fan made trailers and mm. that one was probably the best one that I could, uh, that I found. And so, um, shout out to ELO1138. <laughs> But I can't believe this movie was rated G, honestly. Like, you're looking at all of those crazy Jenner who's... People are stabbed. The yeah, stabbing. The yes. stabbing, <laughs> the, the cussing. The, like, People just... get knives thrown into their backs. <laughs> it's intense. There's naked mice running hey, all over the place. the 80s knew what it was about. We could it's handle true. this sort of stuff as a kid. It's true. That's true. I loved this movie as a kid. 
I wonder if Don Blue. Well, I know that they tried to get a PG rating because they didn't want to miss out on older audi- like kid audiences. But I wonder if they like prided themselves in like kind of pimping the system and getting a- and passing Secret of Nim as a rated G movie. <laughs> I wonder if they were secretly secretly like fine with that. Well, we could ask them. Were you trying to pimp the system? <laughs> I say, Donnie. Really appreciate that. <laughs> And he's like, I, oh, I don't know. I'll, let me ask Dom DeLuise. He'll remember. And he's like, <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> and we're like, Dom, can you please stop wheezing and, and laughing? And he's like, <laughs> and that's all he does for 15 minutes. And that's Dom DeLuise, everyone. Give him a hand. Yay. That's why I hire him. I love Dom. <laughs> all he does is laugh and, and like trip over himself and, and wheeze. Yeah, he really didn't but we love much him for it. as a character. <laughs> Do you like Jeremy him? at least? But like all, a lot of his other characters, yes, they did. But Jeremy was just kind of useless. He <laughs> really well, was. I liked Jeremy just because he was just a li- he was lively, and because everything in this movie is like so serious. Uh-huh. I mean, you have the the Timmy who's sick, you have the child who's on his deathbed, and you have you know she's a widow. Oh my gosh! And then we learn the backstory about her husband, and then the rats are in dire straits, and you know. So I I see why they brought him in. He's we not need like someone a, who's just fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who like the biggest issue that this guy has is that he don't he doesn't have a girl. <laughs> he wants oh, a girlfriend. Boo hoo! <laughs> We're dealing with super intelligent rats here. I'm glad that he's not there throughout, like a sidekick, because yeah. that would really. I love how she sends count. him on this rogue mission to get all the string, and, he, and it's only till after everything's resolved that he comes back. <laughs> oh well, it works out for him in the end, I guess. I mean, was that a way to just like get him out of the story? I don't, I don't understand. That was Mrs. Brisby's way of getting him out of the story. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> doing the whole movie a favor. My story. It's like, oh, man, i got to save this movie. Anyway, it, it wasn't that bad. You know, there's a lot of people who, like, as far as cult followings go, quote, unquote, um, this movie's pretty popular. Oh, yeah. I know, that, I know that dude from Nostalgia Critic always says that this is his favorite animated film. Hey. Because nostalgia, uh, I suppose. He knows what's up. The rules of nostalgia state can't like any film like after 1999 or something <laughs> that's true we should come up with a list of rules of nostalgia or rules of a cult classic well oh I guess, i'm sure there's rules for a cult classic but yeah uh that don bluth he's always dealing with loss and death because in the very first scene we hear about um oh, what's his name justin jumper Who, who's mrs brisby's husband jonathan john there are lots of j's in this movie there's so many j John There's Jacob Jinkelheimer Jenner, Schmidt. Jonathan. And then Timmy, which you could confuse as Jimmy. And it was, Jimmy! No! Oh, not that and, then there's, uh, and then there's Jeremy. And then, oh, yeah, and then Jeremy. Lots of J's. Yep. Yep. What's the 80s? But it's kind of, an, kind of an ominous, ominous, mysterious opening, what with Nicodemus. Uh, yes, because you I, I like it because it doesn't just lay it out like there was a magic kingdom or <laughs> once upon a time on a farm and her husband died. Uh, you know, it, it it leaves you wondering who is this guy? What is this guy? What's this all about? Does he have arthritis? What's the situation? And it, it, it <laughs> is, was that it. really important to you? <laughs> yeah, like it, it, I was concerned. Don Luth has a thing with like knobbly fingers. And he hands. does. <laughs> and uh, it's just like one of the. It. 
like it's a Don Bluth dazzle sort of thing. You know, we talk about like the staples that Don Bluth has in each one of his movies. He has to have the dazzle, he has to have Dom de Louise, and he has to have someone with knobbly hands. Someone has to die. And somebody mm-hmm. has to die, yes. I, I think that that opening was probably one of the best writing in any of his movies. Because it really does leave you feeling like, huh, what is going on? And then um, all that dazzle, you know, speaking of. That dazzle. There was a lot of it. And then just, there's, I love how he like, he like puts the quill on the paper and it just kind of like writes so freely and it's just cool. The imagery was so fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this was, um, this was right after his split from Disney. And he took about 20 Disney animators that they called the, um, oh, what, what do they call them? The, uh, defectors, Raiders. Disney defectors. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I don't know. I feel like from the get go, they knew they would be compared to Disney. One, they did this whole thing under budget, like way under budget from what a Disney production was, but they still didn't take shortcuts. Like they didn't do any limited animation. They didn't do any, uh, you know, like you see, saw on TV. They didn't do any, um, heavy, heavy rotoscoping. You know, like Bakshi level, yeah, um, and even even oh, stuff like My Dogs Go to Heaven and stuff like that. At this point in time, and, uh, we had seen what Bakshi could do with rotoscoping, and I think they and most animators at the time went, "Ugh, not even, <laughs> not not even that. John Let's Blue not do that." <laughs> yeah, and so um, yeah, so they went way under budget, and but the animation is—I wouldn't say it's superior to Disney, but they really made their mark as uh, of doing something fresh and different because yeah. the it's so expressive and i don't know if that was just don blue's like direction or if it was just like the freedom that the animators had to really explore emotion and drama in these characters but i was i was really getting into the characters just because of how how this crazy life that they had they do a really good job of like making you care about these characters and their backstories. Like, yes, they're mice, but there's so much more to them. And then she goes and see Mr. Ages and that whole sequence with between her and him, it it it's a it's the perfect exposition for what we can exp- like the atmosphere of the film. Cuz this isn't some like happy go lucky happy go lucky. <laughs> Thor's like, "Brother." Anyway, um, <laughs> This isn't some like Namby Pamby utopia where all the where all the rodents are, are getting along, you know, not like uh, once upon a forest, you know. People have their own interests apart from what everyone else wants that you needs to accomplish and it's kind of one of those hard facts of life. Um Oh, this is private health care, you know. <laughs> Your doctor may or may not really want to see you. But you can all but you but you know that you can get the medicine that will cure your kid, so you just kinda have to work with it. But anyway, um Mr. Ages um he he's reluctant to help her. He's like, I've got better things to do, so you know, out with it, woman, you know? Well it's crazy. And you also get a good portrait of Mrs. Brisby. Yeah, you really do. Actually, the the moment that sticks in my head the most is right when she comes in and she's like, Mr. Ages, Mr. Ages. Like that, I don't know, that sound bite is in my head. Like that's one of those things I always remember. And just like all the little details of when she like goes down the hole and when she's talking to Mr. Ages. And, you know, you don't realize how much of a history that he should have with this woman. But he doesn't. It's kind of odd. What do you think about it? Like, 
for example, you find out later that her husband was, you know, part of this secret society of, you know, mutated mice and rats. And you would think that Mr. Ages would be better friends with her considering the tight-knit relationship that they had together. But it was just more of like, fine, I'll help you. I'm sorry about your husband. Whatever. And it's kind of, that's also kind of a Don Bluth trademark of like, like, you know, life is tough kind of thing. Yeah. Deal with it, you know. So yeah, that's a cool sequence. I, I like the I like the writing there. I like that you can really get some soul and some and some you know conflict in the characters and stuff. Because you know, Mister Ages is like he's like this bustling in you know intellectual type who like really can't be bothered with like normal things. Like he probably wants to help, <laughs> but he still gets frustrated that he has to and that he has to devote his time to things like that instead of you know the plans, <laughs> the plans. <laughs> Well, we don't know who he's really aligned with either at this point in time. Uh, you know, yeah. we just think that he's just somebody that she should know, like Chelsea says, and you know, he has other things that he's working on, which we will learn later. Which was what I love about this movie. There's just like these things that are presented, and they're kind of mysterious. They get you thinking, and then you know, why are you? Ha- what happened to your leg? Don't worry about it. It's none of your concern. <laughs> it's like okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pneumonia. But I love Mrs. Brisby. I think she's an awesome protagonist. Yeah. Numero uno reason is um, Elizabeth Hartman. Like, as a voice actor, she puts some real, like, soul into the character. And I don't know. I think I like... I think when I when it really comes down to it, I like Mrs. Brisby because she's not a superhero. Like, she's she's not a reluctant hero either, which makes her even more interesting. She's very brave and very courageous and she'll do anything to help her children but at the same time she's extremely vulnerable yeah. like she is she is genuinely scared and terrified of everything that's happening to her and yet she still presses on yeah to accomplish her goals and that's an extremely admirable trait you know and at the same time she's she's really kind she doesn't hesitate to help others who are in need but mm-hmm. it's not like she pretends to be anything special there's no like moment where she's like He's right. I am the chosen one, you know. <laughs> Except at the end when she has, you know, the magical amulet. That's at oh, the very end. When she turns end. into Super Saiyan, <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Brisby. That's the one part where I was like, hmm. Yeah, I, I will talk about that later. But that was the one part where I was not quite sure. Okay. Yeah. But for the most part, she's normal. There's nothing mysterious or, you know, whimsical about her. She lives in the real world. Yeah, she's like an, an every woman who's who's set in who's like thrust into these situations, and she does her very best. And, and there's some moments where she's like extremely brave, like when she like jumps on the tractor to stop it herself, you know. But at the same time, in that same sequence, you you look at her face, and she's like really frightened to be on that giant tractor, but she's got to do it anyway to save her kids. Mm-hmm. I also look at it like she is. Yes, she's vulnerable. Yes, she's brave. Like she's, but she's also very smart. Yeah. The fact that she figures out one how to get out of the cage on her own, she figures out all of these different things. It's like if she had been one of the my, one of the mice of mint of Nim, um, she would have been like probably the the smartest of them all. Honestly, like she just was very adequate, you know, and very capable. And um, and this is just me like thinking of like actual relationships. Normally, when you when you pair off with somebody, it's because you see yourself as their equal, if nothing else. You know, somebody that you could, on some level, have the same relation, like have an equality, you know. 
And I feel like as cool as Jonathan, you know, seems to be, he picked a good one. You know, it was like, yeah, she's probably the closest that could have come to him, you know, considering how he was like super mouse and could read and could, you know, comprehend all of these things. So. Well, I I wonder if he if he was uh, if he had the Nim intellect before he met her and, and married her. I think I think he wasn't, and I think he got kind of caught up into that Nim project. Maybe. And and then he died, and that's how she found out. I guess the book would provide answers, possibly. Oh, the book. But it said they did. Okay, well, one she's named Mrs. Frisbee in the book. Right. <laughs> and we can't do that because copyright. Here okay, in North America, we have a little something called copyright. <laughs> Whammo, a.k.a. the makers of Frisbee, are idiots. This has, you know, happened maybe 20 years ahead of Toy Story's time, but did you not see what happened to Barbie? You <laughs> want your name mentioned in animated films. Yeah, okay? you do. They, there was really no reason for them to say no. If anything, well, it just it just creates like, oh, yeah, that rhymes. With, that's like Frisbee because it is Frisbee, just spelled differently. So, yeah, I don't the know, way I it works, really I know. I know. Yeah, it's really like anal anal of them because it doesn't. It's not even a, a word. It's not even a match to the word. Yeah, exactly. And then um, I don't know. I think I don't know. It might have been something like they couldn't pay the license. The, the I just think that it's say. weird that they even brought it up. It's like, oh, this character that this is a, a legitimate last name frisbee. Oh well, there's that other frisbee that's a toy that's spelled completely differently. Let's go ask them if we can use this. Like to me. Just don't ask. Yeah, I know that's that's poor handling of this, but to I, I feel that oh, more of a ask ask forgiveness and ask permission. Yeah, I feel this wouldn't have been a problem if they released it with the character's name Mrs. Frisbee, and you know, then you clearly can see the book. Oh, and, do you think it was something like like they were like just to be safe? I think no, we that's need what to it. Yeah, that's what I read. It was in the middle of production. They. They had already recorded the lines with the word Frisbee as her last name. And then in the middle, they thought, hmm, let's, let's just double check. And then they got the no. And so they had to They're re-record like, some oh, of the lines. Oh. And some of the actors weren't available to re-record their lines. So they had to use, like, the letter B from other words that they had oh. said and manipulate it. Um, that's horrible. <laughs> that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> You've ever it's tried. Not like were, it's not like you had audacity back then. Oh, my God. Even with, even with audacity. Yikes. Oh man, like Pro Tools. I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> yeah, huh? That's interesting. But yeah, I I do like Mrs. Brisby, and you really don't get that many animated films where the main protagonist is a, is a female mother. I, I don't know what other gender a mother could be, but <laughs> you know, female with children, right. a mother, a mammy. Mama. Well, let's see. I'm trying Mama. to think. Various Disney movies. It's not. It's usually a child. Uh-huh. It's usually With, who's orphaned because women who may be single. Yeah, that is that is an uncommon trope, which doesn't make it a trope. Well, yeah, like, would that make it a trope? <laughs> it's like an anti-trope. <laughs> one of the most noticeable parts of this movie was, for me, one of the, the voice acting was fantastic, as we've been talking about, uh, but also the use of color. Like use of specifically red and orange in the backgrounds, I was just like, that's fantastic. Hmm. Like if you look at from the moment when after she is left Mr. Ages and she's now meeting Jeremy and everything from that moment, it like they change the colors to kind of like symbolize more of a of a tension that's going to be coming. 
Yeah, yeah. You, overall, this film has a very dark color palette, which is uh, a sign of the times. Like, the 80s, if those movies from the early 80s are just dark, you know, even is the Disney Dark Ages, for one, for that company. But for Bluth, just he chose to do the same thing. And I just I just think it's interesting how just stylistically things kind of follow, you know, waves and trends. But uh, very dark. Uh, what do you feel about the backgrounds? I, I posted a question on Twitter asking, like, what do you like or not like about this film? And one person you know, guffawed at the the backgrounds, but I, I didn't really think they were bad. I liked them. I liked the color choices that he made. Did you watch this movie did, with the commentary, Morgan? I did not. Oh, the commentary for this one is so fun. Like, honestly, you're going to get Don Booth and Gary Goldman, and they're both going back and doing their Don Booth and Gary Goldman thing, which is like, oh, <laughs> it's so great. Because they, like, don't really pay attention to the other. They just kind of, like, do their own stories. <laughs> yeah. And Don, like, the entire time he's talking about the color scheme. He's talking about shadows and how we were able to do this or that. And it's like, the other studios weren't doing this type of thing. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, come on. There's one other studio at this point. <laughs> yeah, There's that kind of one. barbarian. And, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah. But he talks a lot about these things, and it was just, oh, man, it's so great. I would definitely want to watch it again with the commentary. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and you've sold me on it. we got to pick up that Blu-ray, which a link to the Blu-ray is in the show notes. Check it out. Yeah. And also, well, they did, a lot of, they did a lot of stuff with, like, special cameras and, and using the multi-pane camera and uh-huh. uh, shining yeah. lights behind the, the cells, you know, to get that Don Bluth shine. Yeah, one thing that I read about the making of this film is that they kind of were kind of disappointed how Disney had kind of gone on the cheap making their films, and they they cut a lot of corners, which lost the artistry. And so their goal when they were making their film is they wanted to keep the old techniques, um, whether or not they were more cost effective. They were fine. They were still going to find a way to use those old techniques um, and those old just ways to make a movie look you know, the way that it did during the golden age, uh, and it preserved that. And so for, you know, like we're talking about, they had a special multiplane camera created for this. They just really wanted to have this movie harken back to the golden age of animation. Yeah. And apparently yeah. the guy who did all the Foley work on it, like all the background sounds and noises, it took him like eight months to put everything hmm. together. I was like, wow, shout out to you, man. Good old Foley artists. So then Mrs. Brisby... F- meets uh Jeremy the crow. He's like a murkrow from Pokemon <laughs> Silver. And um and uh yeah. It was one of those it's one of those things where like she should have just turned the other way. <laughs> on, on her way. But she is inherently kind and helps him out because he's stuck in some stupid string. And we also meet Dragon the cat. So you like me? Of course I like you. Well I mean, do you think I'm clumsy? Like what how do those two things come together? <laughs> Instantly falls. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Plenty of wheezy laughs. Plenty of stuttering and clumsiness. <laughs> She's like, "There's a cat coming. Faster? Is he coming fast or slow? Medium. <laughs> you know, make that fast. He's just totally useless. He can't even." <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a funny scene when he's trying to freak her out because you don't know. You know, you see little things in the background when they they show, you know, some, something moving around in there, but he's just a troublemaker. Really is, and then of course a uh, dragon really does come, and he golly, he's an evil cat. Does he only have one eye? Yeah, he's got like one of those he's like evil eyes. Gato Diablo. 
I'm sure they wanted to call him uh, Lucifer, but uh, that, that name was already taken. So that would have that would have pushed I think it Dragon's such a weird level. name for a, a farm cat, personally. But maybe Dragon's, that's just their name for him. Dragon's dad. Yeah. So he is a freaking monster cat, and he is evil. And uh, I don't know. I'm glad they didn't make him the big threat. I like that they made it interesting, and there's a lot of different stuff going on. They get away, and Jeremy's all, ha, did you see that guy? He's all wet, you know, with water. <laughs> <laughs> kind of rambles on, doesn't he? Yes. <laughs> oh, but I, honestly, he's not as bad as Auntie Shrew. Oh, oh come she's on. She's great. not that bad. <laughs> she's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Spoiled brat. The moment she walks in, I like normally I am totally against kids smarting off and like being rude and but she was super annoying and I almost like I almost like was okay with the fact that her son was <laughs> being like that to her. But then she does redeem herself. Like she does save the day as later on as she's she goes and unhooks the little little piece of pipe. Oh, the fu- the fuel line. That's the only thing holding this truck together is a little fuel line, man. Need some yeah. Well, yeah. Line. yeah, so she has like a duty to protect everyone. She's like the community organizer, you know, so she's always she always has to be in everyone's business. Yeah. <laughs> I liked her. I, I mean, this is kind of the beginning of the Disney Channel or, you know, bratty kids because they are very bratty. Um, so I want to talk about the score. I thought the score was very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I definitely, within the first few minutes, I noticed it and I felt that it was just booming uh it, the, the, like one thing about this movie this movie's very quiet it's not super dialogue heavy um but it's yeah. not quiet in the sense that the the score does likewise the score makes up for it because we have you know periods where there's no one talking but there's just a lot going on a lot of percussion a lot of booms a lot of this um and so the score was done by Jerry Goldsmith which uh is not who we're familiar with for when it comes to Don Bluth uh, more James Horner comes to mind, but right. I just thought it was interesting. But to me, that's really stood out, which this film has kind of all the all the right elements. It has a score that works. It has acting that works. It has animation that works. It has a plot that works. So just all these things, just for all under a $7 million budget. Which is crazy. Pretty awesome. He's done a lot of yeah. cool things, though. I mean, Jerry Goldsmith, like he even did um, Mulan. Yeah, he's got some cool. I'm looking at his IMDb page right now. Twilight Zone, the movie. Ooh, ooh, that gremlin. <laughs> so I mean, he's I mean, he's got some good stuff on here. Check him out sometime. So, he does a lot of Star Trek. All of the all the Star Trek from the that's 80s. Consistent and 90s. work. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, so we get the sick child thing again, and like we said earlier, it's like. What the heck, Once Upon a Forest? (laughs) You know, and I wonder why they did that. You know, I didn't even connect the two when we were reviewing Once Upon a Forest. But this time I'm like, wow, it's blatant knockoff. It's the sick kid, and basically the whole plot revolves around that. And there's a song where she sings to him. (laughs) Wow, maybe I would go back and and lower my review for the other film because Nim did it first. (laughs) Double did it first. Yeah, he did, didn't he? I don't know. Timmy's breaking my heart. His was a lot. His he was a lot more heartbreaking than uh, uh, what's her bucket from Once Upon a Forest. Sorry, I don't like to compare how much I care about sick children who are gonna die. But 
But Timmy did it so much better. <laughs> well, you see less of him. Yeah. Like, he, we don't really know his personality. He starts sick and ve- almost as sick till the very, very end. But with, uh, man, I can't even remember that girl's name. I, all, I, all I know is that it was a very uh, it was Michelle. modern. Michelle. Yes, modern sounding <laughs> name. Michelle, like, you, you're supposed to care for her and get to know her at the beginning of that film. And still, you don't really care. Maybe you do. Yeah. Let's not talk about that movie. Let's talk about the masterpiece. Also, we get our first introduction to what NIM is. Uh, which, what that really means is the National Institute of Mental Health, which if you were just ah. seen, never had seen this movie and you'd heard all the hype about Secret of Nim, Secret of Nim, it's about these mice and blah, blah, blah. That would, no one would ever guess that. No one in their right mind would ever know. Uh, that's what it's referring to. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's, I, I'm sure the book does it a lot better, but it seems like since all the animals talk and all the animals seem to be able to like, build and have some sort of rudimentary technology, not counting NIM rats, people who have like electricity and they have these weird devices and stuff and pulley systems and stuff like that. It looks like the mice could just kind of like do things themselves. And like the only reason why they had NIM in this movie was so that they could have the pulley system to pull the cinder block out of the mud. Like it seems like I wish they could, I could have seen more NIMI stuff, you know? Like, I get that they had electricity. I liked the entrance to the, to the whole place where the, they're in their the lamp, and it goes down, and the whole thing fills with water. Oh, the, the yeah, they have this, like, and... pressurized bathysphere or like, something like that. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> hey. Yeah, well, that's cool. That is cool. Super smart, intelligent rats. Speaking of super smart, intelligent rats, like, we keep going into, we keep going back and forth with, with Nicodemus, who can pretty much see this whole thing. But, like, is he, like, a wizard rat? <laughs> like, that's what I was but, thinking. No, 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 seriously, how, how would you categorize that? <laughs> how would you categorize all his technology? Because he has this, like, seeing eye thing that lets his him tell. more metaphysical than technology. You yeah. mean supernatural? Yes. You mean magic. You mean. He's a wizard. You're a wizard, Nicodemus. <laughs> precisely, precisely. Yeah. And where did the amulet come from? Jonathan made it for her. And, I mean, okay, first off, that, if you look at it in the size of, like, how we would see that little amulet, like, the size of that thing, that's really small. Yeah, it's tiny. It's an like, amulet for a rat. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at my little chapstick thing, and it's probably smaller than the top of my chapstick. And I'm thinking, like, wow, that's how many of those pebbles am I walking by every day? <laughs> you could just touch it, you become super Chelsea, right? And lift the buildings. I think maybe they're like maybe what happened when they were in because it was the mental health, and so maybe you know the the things that they were injected with messed with their brain. You know, kind of like um, what is that one movie with? Um, John Travolta, where he can like move things with his mind. Harry Potter. <laughs> Greece. Greece. Oh, I think it's like fan. I don't know, but it kind of reminds me of that. It's like maybe it, like mess mess with their minds enough to where like now they are more in line with the structure of the universe, to where like their minds are super powerful and they're able to. That's do- the case. I need a shot of that. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, no kidding. And and the fact that he would remain young while she would grow old, like that is Twilight. That's awesome as well. Again, Don Bluth did it first. He totally did. <laughs> so then we uh, have that classic trope, which is the fear of flying and heights. 
Oh, yeah, got to go see that owl. Yeah, you, I just feel like you can't have some animated or non-animated film with, with you know, flying involved. And, you know, one in, one in two, you'll probably get the, some character closing their eyes. Oh, I didn't sign up for this. I can't believe you convinced me to do this. Ah! You know, Big Hero 6 does it. It's just every, oh, yeah. every, every movie does it. Um, but, you know, she obviously has a good reason for it. And then they go to the Great Owl. Uh, Ooh, I and, love and, the Great Owl. Why His voice love- is awesome. Yep, I know. She's like, she's like, isn't there any other way? <gasps> Two seconds later, is like, oh wait, never mind, forget it. I, there is another way. Yeah, you know those, you know those rats. <laughs> why, what, why did he have to be so coy? Because he's the owl. He has to be mysterious. Yeah, no, he, no one's ever seen him. That lives. She name dropped and it worked. Oh yeah, that's true. This is dropped. Jonathan Brisby. He yeah. is well known around these. Places. I'm like, I want to know who Jonathan Brisby was. Well, I wonder if the well the owl seems magical because he has the those gleaming eyes, you know. Yeah, I was reading that um, like on a one of the DVD commentaries, Bluth intended that Nicodemus and the Great Owl should be kind of seen as aspects of the same character. So that's why there's so many similarities in their mm. design with like the glowing eyes. I don't know if it was like intended and then removed or intended purposely, and that's why it is the way it is. Did you see those as being the same character? Um, That makes sense now that they could be part of this, like, you know, forest Illuminati. But but something I see in these Don Bluth productions is, like I said before, like how expressive the character designs are. And I say character designs because, like, stuff like that has to start with the drawings of the character. Yeah. Like, if you, like, take the great owl, like, he's got a beak. Like, the animators could have easily backed themselves up into a corner having a very unexpressive owl, you know, with just a beak. Because owl beaks are kind of awkward. You know, they kind of you can't really see the opening of their mouths because, like, the top beak is obscuring the bottom beak. And anyway, so the great owl who talks with his beak, like, you can see all of his facial features, like, moving and squashing and stretching when he talks. And so those animators, they really understood how to push the limit of, like, the animation principle of exaggeration. And really getting you to feel what he's saying, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought it was cool that it's it's one thing to have an animal walk on its two legs, you know, to make it anthropomorphic. But it's another thing to give it, like, human qualities of facial speech so that you can really see them articulate their words. And that's what I thought was really cool about the great owl. Also because he was, like, a terrifying character, but he wasn't, like, an evil character. He was just kind of scary because he's old and... Hangs around with cobwebs. It was pretty awesome. And then when he like crushed the spider, that's awesome. <laughs> eats the moth. Excuse me. I don't know why, and this is this is kind of immature, but when he said, "And now I must go," I thought I thought in the back of my head I was like, "It's old Al. He probably has to use the restroom." <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why oh, I yeah. thought that. I never thought that. I just now I will. How Nim should have ended. <laughs> and now I must leave. It really, it's going to be a while. But anyway, uh, I like right That's afterwards. Mason Smith, uh, welcome. Welcome da, to the podcast. Da, 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 da. Thank you. Thank you. Drive safe. <laughs> and then uh, shortly after that, there's like Jeremy's like talking some nonsense and, and he really wants to help. And like Mrs. Brisby tells him, if you really want to help, You'll go away. <laughs> like, just the way she said it was really funny. That's a great. That's a great line. I'm going to use that more often. 
It's a great line. <laughs> great. I hope I'm not at the receiving end of that line. No one wants to be the Jeremy. Mm, no, no, friend zone. He's like the squid. <laughs> well, definitely friend zone. He, it's like he wanted. He wants this weird relationship with her, and he's like overly attached, and he has abandonment issues. Obviously, <laughs> you and, were a girl uh, once. Tell me, you were a girl <laughs> once, right? Yeah, athletic. <laughs> and Mrs. Brisby's like, I really don't care. I, I, I've got more important things to do. That's another great, strong quality. Of Mrs. Brisby is focus. Yeah. She doesn't let a lot distract her. She just goes and goes. She's like, I have to do this because I have to. I don't know why she volunteers to give the tranquilizer to to Dragon, but maybe it was one of those, if you're going to do things right, you got to do it yourself kind of things. Yeah, well, she, she always steps up when she needs to, like you are saying. And maybe, I don't know, she just felt that was her time. Yeah, so it's off to the rosebush after that. I like she runs into she runs into some dude who the only thing he wants to do is kill her with this like electric trident. Yeah, and, and then they do the that end. they do that for that two minutes and then she and then he's he's at there at the end helping everyone out and then afterwards she's talking to Mr. Ages and she's like oh I'm not going back some rat back there tried to kill me and he's like oh yeah that's just Brutus. <laughs> it's like did you not hear what I just said? He tried to kill me. He tries to kill us all. Yeah, he's a, he's a psychopath. <laughs> He just knows his job. to do that to you. Of course, his name is Brutus. He's like that really buff rat on uh, Ratatouille. (laughs) You know, the muscle. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that one's great. And then she's talking with Mr. Ages, who mysteriously is is in cahoots with the rats. And she's like, yeah, I went and saw the owl. And he's like, the owl? You saw the owl? No one's seen the owl. I mean, what owl? She's like, yes, I saw the owl. The owl? Yes, I saw him. The Owl? You saw the owl? All right, already. Like, we know it's a big deal if someone saw the owl. Move on with your life, Mr. Ages. Mr. Ages has been spending way too much time in his laboratory, and so he's only ever heard of these people. And he's like, he's just the one, like, putting everything together. But I'm sure Jeremy, or I'm sorry, Jonathan, I'm sure Jonathan was actually out there networking and meeting all these people. (laughs) And yeah, so he's, Mr. Ages, he's, he's just, like, I've never seen these people. Why? Mr. Ages is just, he, he's like the guy that Jeremy says, he's like, some of us take it, take ourselves way too seriously. And Mr. Ages is one of those guys. Like, he's very grave. He doesn't have a sense of humor, you know, and he's got this purpose that he wants to pursue. And it's it's neither an admirable nor a, nor a really bad quality, I suppose. And then enter Justin. Ah, Justin. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Yeah, Justin. Apparently you weren't as uh, moved by him as us. (laughs) No, I was immune to his... Yeah. Um, I've I've either been calling Justin Jeremy or or Jenner this whole time, but yeah, Justin, too many J's. That's what I'm telling you. They need to find some other letters. That's what the subtitle of this episode is going to be. Too many J's. Yeah, he's cool. I'm really glad that they didn't push or like pursue the... Like opportunity for a love interest between Mrs. Brisby because I mean, she did just become widowed like a week ago. So I understand that, but at the same time, watching this movie growing up, I always wanted there to be one. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I think if they did a proper sequel to this film, not Timmy to the Rescue, I would have liked to see a Mrs. Brisby Justin romance. But yeah, you got to give it time. And he knew that, you know. <laughs> just give it a while. But then again, it, you're thinking. She's a mouse, and he's a rat. They're from two different worlds. They're from two different worlds. <laughs> okay. Then we meet yep. Jenner. She is a widow. 
Ah, Jenner at the same time. Yes. Okay. So Jenner. Well, Parts of Jenner will be played by Mason Smith. <laughs> was he a good or, villain to you guys? Uh, he was a weak Radigan. Yeah. Oh yeah, Radigan could kick rights. his butt. Uh, he was okay, I guess. I like his animation just like all the other characters. Uh, one thing I noticed when he was kind of giving his speech about how they should stay and how Nicodemus is dumb, um, he's, he's very expressive and his cape is so flowy, you know? <laughs> That's one thing I was going to say. I love swooshes and it kind of settles down, you know? That's good yeah. animation. He has good wardrobe. I mean, that's what happens. You get intelligent, and suddenly you say, I want fabulous clothes. Yep. So he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jenner, he's okay. He's like a mediocre bad guy. Apparently the voice actor that voiced him, they went back and re- he like re-recorded all his lines after seeing the like what his character would look like actually animated. Oh. I don't know, maybe he sounded more like Vincent Price, or maybe he was like, the brainiac rat! He! He! <laughs> yes! Nimish mine! Nimish all mine! That was probably how he sounded. It seems legit. Oh, plus he has a, he has a curvy, t- twisted sword. Just like yeah. Jafar has that curvy, twisted knife. That's a dead giveaway right there. <laughs> yeah, whoever has the squiggle sword is, uh, <laughs> not, squiggle not good. Sword. <laughs> Obviously. That's Morgan terms for you. <laughs> Evil. There were things that I liked about him. First off, I liked that this almost went into kind of like a political realm. And not necessarily, but I mean, it had the feel of one. Like, you know, everybody's up and like he's the one speaking and they're all having this big old conference and everyone's like, here, here, here. It almost <laughs> reminded me of like the seeing like different movies where they talk about like the House of Representatives and things like that. But not even here, but I'm thinking more like, like in the Britain, Parliament, Parliament. Of England. Yeah, in Parliament. Like, yeah. How they're, they're a lot more vocal, vocal than who we are. <laughs> One thing I really liked is I liked the children. And even though the children were kind of direct knockoffs of the kids from Robin Hood, they were just so cute. Yeah. I love their designs. I love the giant bow and the girl mouse's hair. The, the, you know they I mean? all had their personalities, too. Mm-hmm. Which I couldn't nice. tell you their names, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they totally saved Jeremy from the clutches of Aunt, Auntie Shrew, who pretty much just wants to tie him up and throw him in the river. You know, one thing I didn't really understand, though, is when Nicodemus is talking to her and they're having this little, you know, chat, when he tells her, like, I didn't understand why they couldn't tell her about Nim in the first place. Because he, he makes a comment, he's like, you would have grown old while he would remain young. And I'm like thinking, wouldn't that be more of a reason to tell you? Why? <laughs> like, why am I getting old and you're staying young? Like, there's a difference here between us. And I just, I felt it was really weird. And then... Why didn't somebody actually tell her that her husband died? Like, they basically just left her to assume. Because in the very beginning, like, John, he's like, Jonathan, wherever you are, which first off, you're contemplating, like, the afterlife. Awesome. Jonathan, wherever you are, your thoughts must come for her tonight. She will be waiting for you and you will not return. Farewell, my friend. And, like, how mean. You just don't even tell her that, oh, sorry, your husband died. Can't tell you how or anything, but you know he's not coming home, and then everybody, yeah, and then everybody just knows that he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, there were only guys in the secret society. I'm telling you, that's true. No, it was like the Masons, the Freemasons, but mice and rats. Yeah, I get a free pass to those guys. (laughs) Lucky, lucky, lucky. Yeah, it's nothing you haven't seen before. 
But anyway, um, <clears throat> but anyway, so yeah, secret rat society. They couldn't. They couldn't tell her. Maybe they had like a vow of secrecy that they, you know, the the forest public was not ready for Nim. You know, to me, it's still really weird about the timing of Jonathan's demise. Like, when did he die? That morning. It's, you know? it's very unclear. Yeah, they don't tell you when he died. That morning when she's looking for Mr. Ages or or what? Has this been weeks or months or I don't I don't know. But anyway, I do like the part where there's this like disagreement with with Jenner and then Justin and and their people who have the plan. It brings up kind of this mature conflict. That like Justin and, and the gang and Nicodemus, they see something wrong with you know, with their enhanced intelligence, it seems like they have an enhanced conscience. They yeah. they seem like they have a higher purpose than to simply steal what they need from the humans, even though the humans are out to get them. Like that's ex- that's an extremely mature message. Uh-huh. Um, for an animated film, like normally the animals would be like, "Yeah, we steal from the humans because they're e- evil <laughs> humans." humans are bad. You know? <laughs> humans are bad. They throw yeah, bottles on the ground. It's, uh, it's not one of those, natural. Yeah, it's not natural. But uh, Jenner, on the other hand, he seems to have devolved as far as his conscience goes, and he is totally fine with uh, you know with staying at in the in the rose bush and continuing to steal from the humans. And so it sets up this really interesting conflict, and I think it, it was, I don't know, I, I think it was in the book because in the book they made Jenner out to be just a just a defector or like an opposing viewpoint rather than a straight-up villain who wants to kill everyone. And Jenner's such a bad, bad guy, he can't even get his one henchman to stick with him and, and <laughs> yeah. do his plot. I mean, more power to his henchman, but man, I mean, good way to go taking the high road, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really like that they put that as the main conflict because I mean it could have been it could have been dragon it could have been you know the plow it could have been but I mean all of these things are just kind of like there but the main problem that she's got to overcome is within themselves I think that's really really mature and great writing loved it yeah it's kind of this theme of like what do you do with your with your genius because these rats are are genius now because they can basically do electrical engineering and all this other stuff and but they they still hold on to ethics and I think that's part of true intelligence is understanding that you have an ethical responsibility but I think it was pretty brutal how he wanted to kill Nicodemus also it's kind of a kind of lame because he's like once I kill Nicodemus, everyone will disagree with me you know like I don't understand what he thought would happen by killing Nicodemus because, you know, half the rats are, are on his side anyway. So um, finally, when she gets here, they reveal what happened. And so we get this, you know, flashback, I guess, or this telling of the story of what happened to the rats. And there's I just loved how, like, in the actual transformation after the rats have been injected, there was it was just so visual, just the way that they were able to depict this. Um, but I also don't understand why suddenly the Sierra makes you understand English with no prior training. Like, yeah, seems legit. Like, I understand you gaining intelligence, but you don't just boom. I suddenly know English. It's no, I have the ability to learn and understand English, but you don't just even the most intelligent beings have to start somewhere. So I, I don't know. I was like, mm, I guess it's a way to speed the plot along, but nah. Yeah, well. They have been there for a while, and they have, like, heard humans talking, and, you know, I, I, I go with it. <laughs> I don't judge this part too harshly. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's cool. Like, 
this it's like this weird little science fiction twist in the in the movie. Yeah. And I think this is where it like comes like the the amulet and all these you know, how it all ends kind of plays in and any time where it throws the science fiction parts in, I just went with it. And especially as a kid, I I definitely can see it now, like how that's kind of a plot hole, like kind of like what's the word, um, Deus Escape or something like that, where it's a term in storytelling where basically they just throw in a magical twist and like, yeah, and everything was all better. But at the same time, I went with it and I really liked it. But anyway, continue. I wish they would have done like a proper sequel where we're like, they like build like war machines and have like an all out mouse and rat war with like (laughs) Zeppelins. I don't know. I wanted Zeppelins. Well, anyway. we can definitely talk about the sequel when we get done. But uh, I love it. I love another animation or, yeah, it's more of an animation trope. It's anything relating with animals who co- coexist in a human world. It's like clothes are cool. We can wear clothes. Except when humans are around, suddenly the clothes all disappear. Yeah, that's when she gets caught, like when she's trying to put um, Dragon to sleep, giving him that, that stuff. You know, they always Dragon. have these things in neat little envelopes. <laughs> Those mice are so neat. But yeah, she um, she's just full field mouse mode in that part. Also, I like that scene because again, she does something like really courageous, but she's like shaking with terror because she doesn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I like how she gets out of the cage. She uses her own little mouse ingenuity. She's a smart. Yeah, the thing she doesn't have the super intelligence, but like still as an animal, she has her own intelligence on how to escape, and you know she was able to get out her own way, which was nice. But then she gets hit. By a man. I'm not not okay with that. Because he's a loser. Oh, yeah, because she goes to, like, stop Jenner. everything, and then Jenner's like, get out of here, woman. <laughs> yeah, that that's how you know he's a bad guy. Well, he's like the villains that don't try to pers- don't try to claim the female as his own, you know? Kind of like Clayton. He's kind of like Clayton. <laughs> All he cares about is his, is his goals. <laughs> I don't know. I think he would. But, um, but anyway, um, yeah, like... I like this whole fight with Jenner. Well, first he turns on his on his buddy, and that's scary. Like he gets slashed, and there's like blood and stuff. And then Justin is like, "Oh, stick!" And then, "Oh, sword!" I read that the animators took some fight scenes from the Robin Hood movie from I think the 30s. It was like 1931, and they some of them they copied some of the shots like move for move as far as the choreography. So, hmm. if you want to see the fight in live action, go watch that movie. I guess. <laughs> We'll have to check it out. But it's 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 very suspenseful. Like, oh no, he's he he stabbed him in the stomach, and and now Justin's like he's like, all right, we we need to go to Lost Valley or wherever they're supposed to go, and which we never really see. And then at the same time, his his ex henchman is like, no, I must <laughs> use my last breath to throw this knife. You know, <laughs> so dramatic, gripping. And I don't mean that sarcastically. I thought it was. <laughs> and, and then this whole, they live in a concrete block. Like, can't they get out, the kids? Well, they, yeah. they got all that to worry about. That was my question. It was like, oh, he can't move for three weeks. Okay, I understand that. But what about the other kids? I'm pretty sure they're not sick and they have legs that can work. Um, I just thought that was silly. Yeah. Like, you know, it was like all for drama, clearly. Like, the, the kids had to stay with Timmy in the concrete block or in their little house thing. It, like, it, realistically, if you were a smart mom, you would get the kids out ASAP, move them to some safe haven, and just worry about the Timmy situation. Even with the Timmy situation, why couldn't, you know, one of the rats just, like, wrap him up real tight and have him move into the rosebush? Yeah, ever heard of a stretcher? They can make these <laughs> elaborate pulley systems, but they can't get a kid out of a house. 
Yeah, they're not that smart. Yeah, I get it. For plot reasons, they have to do it this way. But this is so hard. <laughs> this is making it so hard on us. No, we must do this. Gosh, I, I hate that moment where she's like, okay, we're going to get you out in a little bit. You know, and she's really stressed out. And then she starts seeing the bubbles. The bubbles. And the thing <laughs> just starts, my bubbles. He likes bubbles. Yeah, that fish comes up. Bubbles! <laughs> anyway, and then the whole thing starts sinking. And it's, ugh, your heart just sinks with it, you know. It's sad. Bloop, bloop, bloop. Yeah, it is sad. And just when all all hope seems lost. The power. The power within. The power within. This is the part that I, like, I don't know, I was okay with the whole movie up until this point, but then this part was, like, super mystical. She goes in this trance, and boom, she uses her powers from the amulet to save the house. Um, and she does, you know what I mean? And and still, this amulet's not explained. Is it ever explained? Not really. I mean, well, it just says the, like where the, it came stone, from. the stone has a power when it's there. Like, no, they don't explain where it came from at all. Right, um, when held by someone with a, with courage in their heart, it will. I think he said something like, "If someone with courage holds this and puts this around their neck, it will glow." You know, I, I'm like, "What kind of power is that?" I think this is the power. This used to be Jean Valjean's amulet because he has that power where he can lift things oh, yeah. that no one else can lift. <laughs> telling you, the name of the plot device is called Deus Ex Machina. It, the term oh, yeah, got is got out of the machine. Yeah, and it says the term has evolved into into a plot device whereby a seemingly unsolvable problem is suddenly and abruptly solved by the contrived and unexpected introversion of a somewhat new character, ability, or object. Boom. Magic <laughs> Boom. powers. <laughs> Magic powers. I mean, I mean it works because it wasn't like this was our first mystical element that had been presented to us, but like with the rats and the way that they were able to obtain their intelligence, it wasn't mystical, it was science. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? So, like, these two elements are at odds. And one's explained very well, and then the other, not so much. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of funky the way they mix science fiction with just flat-out fantasy and, and supernaturalness. Yeah. Yeah. Though My interpretation is that the the power of the amulet, you know how you read in, like, the newspaper? Or, that's, a bad, that's a bad example. No one reads that. You know how you see... <laughs> You know, you read on the news how, like, you know, a mom lifted a car off of her struggling baby or a mom killed a walrus that was attacking their child. <laughs> I read that all the time. Okay, maybe not a walrus, but <laughs> you know how you read about how mothers suddenly get these, like, you know, with the adrenaline and, and the right. their maternal instincts, they're able to do these awesome feats. I think it was representing the the courage and the power that Mrs. Brisby had as a mother to do whatever it took to, to protect her children. And so maybe the whole thing was a hallucination, and she l- turned into, like, Hulk rat and just lifted the concrete <laughs> cylinder like the Tasmanian devil, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> then she, like, turned back into mild-mannered Mrs. Brisby <laughs> afterwards. You know, and then she walks away, and she's like, that's my secret. I'm always angry. But anyway... <laughs> little Avengers in there. But anyway, um, that's what the interpretation was for me. It's just like this amazing superpower that comes from a mother and her desire to protect her children. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, I understand that because that is something that is true. And, you know, the, the love of a mother gives them powers and strength to do things that they might normally not be able to do. So that I definitely could understand and how it related. Mm-hmm. Well, that and like I was mentioned before as a kid, 
You just really like the idea of holding on to something pretty and shiny and giving you magical powers. That's true. And I, I Sometimes remember... Sometimes you just got to hold on to that shiny. <laughs> I remember we had... The, I, somehow I found this, like, little gemstone thing. I think it was probably came from my, like... It actually came from my Aladdin, the Cave of Wonders set. It had this little gem thing in it that it would hook onto the, the monkey hands and... Anyway, oh, cool! It was it was an awesome toy. Um, but I had this thing, and I would always I kept it in my pocket. A lot of times, I would like hold on to it, thinking it's like if I hold on tight, then my powers will like move everything. This one, <laughs> I was a weird kid. No, oh, yeah, and why does Jeremy want that thing so bad? He's like totally hypnotized by it when he first sees it. It's a sparkly. Like, Ooh, the sparkly girls love sparklies. Let me have it. You know, that's why. It's like. That's the only thing he's got. He's got to get somebody that's outside of him. It's like the it's like the the one ring. It has a power of persuasion. <laughs> so I guess the amulet really did burn her hands. Like that's kind of a weird thing. Oh yeah, because she was. It's like a jewel on. that lights on fire. Yeah. I guess that's how it. I, mean, I guess that's how it like stops the wussies from <laughs> from holding it and abusing its power. Like you got to be <laughs> hardcore to, to wield the power of this amulet. <laughs> Yeah, and then everything kind of gets gets tied together at the end, and even even Jeremy, the screw up of the film, gets a female bird who's apparently just as giggly and just as goofy as he is. She's even got that '80s hairdo. Yeah, I, I mean, was that necessary to tie up that storyline? Like, why couldn't we, he just have been a character introduced at the beginning just to be a goofball? But why why did he need a resolution? It was a good way to like bring it together as some uh, like a happy ending. Yay! Somebody gets love. <laughs> Someone hooks up in this movie. <laughs> I mean, like you said, we you know you can't have Justin and Mrs. Brisby together, so it's like okay, somebody's got to have some type of a happy ending. I think. But he's so hunky. He should have been able to. He should have. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he's a good guy, but now he's the leader. Give it time. Yeah, Maybe in one back. of the books they did. He's, he's a leader of an all-male society that sucks. Yeah, that's going to die out soon. <laughs> and then we get, launch into this kind of folksy, funky song at the end. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, very the reminiscent 80s. of the time period, 70s, 80s. Like, that's very Watership Down. So, yeah. Okay, so tell us about the crappy sequel, because I didn't I didn't bother to, bother to see it. Well, I've never seen it. I mean, oh. I mean us have seen better it. than that. Oh, okay, good. I thought maybe one of you would... Well, you know how some of us have have those movies that we've, we grew up with, and so we love them by default, you know? Right. Uh, well, uh, The Secret of Bib 2, Timmy to the Rescue, is not oh. one of those. Brother. <laughs> like, they took out the strong heroine... You know, in Mrs. Brisby, and and put in Timmy. They, they threw in the trope. All right. So, what would you? Oh, let me. I had a listener Twitter question, so I want to read it real quick. I basically said, "What makes the Secret of Nim so great, or not so great for you?" And these were the answers that we got. We from Marlo Meekins. She says the story is great. It's legitimately scary slash dark. And she also says the backgrounds are. Ex- expletive, though. <laughs> Jordan <laughs> Petrie says the character of Mrs. B or Frisbee, uh, such a supportive and memorable character. Extra points for the f- song Flat Dreams. 
Molly Daly says, the fact that they had to change all the lines with Mrs. Brisby's name because of Frisbee. That's why she likes it so much. August Macias says, it has the best female character. Mrs. Brisby is willing to go to danger, no matter how scared, for the safety of her kids. Brooks Austin says, it's a mature Brooks Austin says it's a mature story for kids that doesn't talk down to the audience, and it has beautiful animation and memorable characters. Charmaine says Mrs. Frisbee is a great character. She is so humble and a great mom. She's an unlikely and lovable heroine. And the last one is a girl named Tad, and her avatar is a picture of a tadpole. Amazing. And she says one word, sparkly. Always wanted one. Hashtag childhood memories. Aww. Well, I think the consensus is that this is a that the film has a great story and it just has really memorable, fun characters. Mm-hmm. Mostly Mrs. Frisbee Brisbee, you know. <laughs> All right, I guess we'll rate it, huh? Let's rate away. All right, I say I would love to give this a five star, but for whatever reason, Whoa. it like it can't. I I can't do that. Um, I think it, it resonates at like almost four point five, like four four point five for me. I'm going to go with 4.5 just because of the, you know, nostalgia and replay value with this and the fact that I watched it as I was sick today and it just reminded me of a time when I was sick and I stayed home and I watched Secret of Nim. <laughs> I also am going to give it 4.5 stars. I love this movie. I think it is uh, obviously one of Don Bluth's best. The characters are strong, mature. Mrs. Brisby is a wonderful heroine and just female protagonist. And I, I really appreciate that they didn't dumb her down. They didn't really, like, they made her serious. Like, I would love to see more characters like that in animation today, but not getting my hopes up. So anyway, I love Don Bluth, and I think this is just a great, uh, you know, initial directorial debut for him. Um, no wonder it has so many fans and following still today. And so 4.5. Mm, man, I'm in a tough spot. Um, I think I'll give it four stars. Um, you know, it's not my favorite 2D animated film. Like, I, I don't think it's on the level of something like uh, Lion King or Prince of Egypt, but um, it's still really good. And like Morgan said, I I agree that it's a... I, it's I, yes, I think it's the best Don Bluth film. Yeah, I could say that it is the best Don Bluth film, and uh, but the animation is where it really really shines. Like it just achieved um, quality animation while still deviating from kind of the Disney formula of the day. And I wonder if Don Bluth would have left Disney if the Renaissance had happened earlier. You know, if they got past all the Xerox, you know, and all the scratchy lines and and all the cheapness, you know, and, and were really able to make, you know, but, you know, not Eisner age, like those giant blockbuster Disney Renaissance films, if he, if he would have left anyway. I don't know. <laughs> we could ask him, I suppose. <laughs> Say, Donnie. Yeah. But anyway, that's my strange philosophical animation question for today. But yeah, four stars. I, I think it's a really, really good film, and you know, they could have cut some stuff out, and there's some weird technical stuff that happened. But yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. It's a really good film. Awesome. All right, let's move into the voicemail. So our first voicemail is from Sarah. 
Hello, Rotoscopers. It's me, Sarah. You might remember me. I was the person that wanted you guys to review Watership Down, Lorax, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I just wanted to say that I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of your show, and I watch you guys all, I mean, listen to and watch all the time, and um, I just listened to the Once Upon a Forest <laughs> podcast, and I just thought it was amazing. And I very vaguely remember that movie. Um, I know I tried to watch it a few years ago. I don't really remember anything other than thinking it was very sad. Um, can't wait for you guys to be secret in them. I actually plan on watching that for the first time. I hear it's awesome. I read the book. Anywho, thank you guys for being my favorite podcast ever. And hello, Mason, Morgan, and Chelsea. And just have a great day. Bye, guys. All right, so I have a confession. I have never actually seen Watership Down. I'd actually never uh-huh. even heard of this movie until <laughs> I started doing the podcast and the rotoscopers, which is so embarrassing. Um, but now I'm somewhat familiar with yeah. it, still have not seen it. But that is like another one of these cult classic films that people keep bringing up. So we might have to do it one day. Yeah, the only thing you'd have to remember is that while there's certainly not as much foul language in Watership Down as there is in <laughs> Secret of Nim, for what it's worth, um, it is very bloody and it is very violent. It's very kind of raw, naturalistic uh, animal conflict. And so um, not not for young, young kids, although I did watch this as a kid. It was kind of required <laughs> watching in my, my household. But, but like I said, it's a very powerful allegory for the the socio-political issues of um of Britain and Europe at the time and so it's it's very much worth watching but I I don't know I'm I'm I don't we've done uh, there's a, an article review on the rotoscopers website but I don't know I guess we'll all have to decide whether we want to do maybe we'll do a, a rabbits we should do <laughs> rabbits next oh man <laughs> how many rabbit movies are there we we will find. <laughs> we will find Let's out. See, there's, we're skipping uh, Despero, but we're going right into rabbits. Come on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Our next email is from Eric. Hey, Rotoscopers. This is Eric Faulkner. I have one thing to say about Secret of Nim. I think it should be rated higher. It does have some scary images in it. All right, guys. Do you think that this film has too low of an MPAA rating? I think we know the answer to this. Yeah, it is too yeah. low. I, <laughs> I mean, but it was the 80s, so like everything in the 80s is low. It's just the bar is just much lower than there's been inflation really? since then. Because I think, I feel like it's opposite. I feel no, like there, I, I there think, are movies from the 80s that should not be that's rated true. with the R. That's true. Yeah. Okay, yeah. They were that's way true, but at the, at the same time, a lot of rated R 80s movies are, are the exact same as PG-13 movies today. Uh-huh. But yet, rated G movies today are so rated G. Like, there's no question. You I know? think there's a lot of politics involved. Um, but yeah, I think it should have been PG. But at the same time, I, but yeah, I think it should have. Black Cauldron was PG, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh man. Black Cauldron was PG. Why can't this one be PG anyway? Love it seems made flying dreams so hearts could soar. Heaven sent these wings were meant to prove once more that love is the key. 
All right, guys, that is all we have for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. When you're, when you're talking about this episode on social media, use the hashtag animatics87 and just talking about the show in general, hashtag animatics. For show notes, go to rotoscopers.com slash 87. That's where you can find all the links, all the Amazon links to, you know, purchase the movie, to purchase the soundtrack. Um, all the things that we've talked about will be linked there for your convenience. So check it out. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. We love it. When when you leave us reviews in iTunes. We were just featured in iTunes today, of the day that we recorded, and I think we'll be there all week. So on the front page of the iTunes uh, podcast page, you see the Rotoscoper's beautiful logo, and it's so exciting. We, we've kind of made it, guys. Woohoo! They acknowledged us. <laughs> they we're acknowledged popular. Us. If you want to contact us, be sure to send us a voicemail with your thoughts about movies we've done in the past or we will be doing. Go to rotoscopers.com slash voicemails or you can give us a call on your phone at 406-646-6575. Like I mentioned, we have um, some affiliate sponsors that you can use. Uh, we love it when you use your, um, when we, you use our Amazon affiliate link for your Amazon shopping. We get a little percentage that helps support the show. So keep using your link, save it to your book, your toolbar. Seriously, it's so easy. Uh, do it. Uh, also, don't forget the Rotoscopers store, rotoscopers.com slash store. That's where you can find your Roto shirts. We still have a few left, and people have been purchasing them a lot recently. So thank you so much, those that have purchased it. And if you do have a shirt, be sure to tag at um, hashtag Roto shirt on Instagram. And that's way that's one way that you can get featured on our front page of our website. It'll automatically take all the photos from that hashtag and, and pump it onto our main page. So pretty cool. So guys, we are done with mice and rats. What is going to be our next series? Are we going to take a break and just do a random movie? Or are we going into a series? I thought we do a random movie. Or do you have a random movie in mind? Well, next, the next episode, we are wanting to do the episode on story from the book Creativity, Inc. Ah, Creativity Incorporated, yeah. Yes, and so we're trying to get um, people to call in for that. If you are in the industry and you are a creator and you have something to weigh in on this book, please send us a voicemail at rotoscopers.com slash voicemails. Let us know, one, if when you find out that something in story is not working, what do you do? What are the principles that you follow to be able to fix it? And if you want to give us some examples of things that you've done, let us know. So what is a movie where the story wasn't working and they tweaked it and now it does work? Toy Story. Well, well, we, did that. we can't do that. What about Toy Story 3? <laughs> nah, that one, that one was golden from the beginning, I'm sure. Toy Story 4. How about that one? Oh. <laughs> let us know. Yeah, so until next hey, time. But wait, wait, wait. This is our three year anniversary, guys. Really? Yeah. Oh. February yes. 8th was Woo-hoo. our three year anniversary. Oh, three photoscopers. Okay, that's all. Until next time. We are the rotoscopers. Chelsea is recording, so let's do the intro. Anyone but me. No, make Chelsea do all of it. <laughs> Yay. You're listening. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now I'm now I'm getting pneumonia. <laughs> By the end of this, we'll all be sick.
first off, I want to say, was that trailer intense or what? None of us saw the trailer. (laughs) Well, the trailer that I'm going to put in there, just say it was. Yes, it it was. (laughs) Yes, the trailer was intense. (laughs) Oh, man. Yes, and. Yes, and. (laughs) Delay. Oh, no. I was just interrupting you that time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Looking back, I don't know what that amulet thing was. Could have been one of those Zelda things, you know? What if all three of them opened a portal in time? That's what I was saying. I was saying, okay, like, this is totally like um, in Big Hero 6, you know, how we, how Fred is talking about the Emerald Amulet. Uh, <laughs> so there's the Emerald one. This is like an animation theory. It's kind of like a Disney theory, but it ties all the animated movies together. So Ooh. there's Fred's Amulet, which is Emerald. There's Mrs. Brisby's Red Amulet, which is a ruby. And then there's a Sapphire Amulet somewhere out there. Got and the me. three of them combined open up a magic portal, like you said, which is the, the way that you open the time vortex. This is how it all works out. Now we gotta find a movie with a sapphire. <laughs> I like it well, I like the I like the time time vortex. Yeah, you know, gotta, gotta we might want it. we might want to look at Aristocats because Thomas O'Malley says that Duchess's eyes are like sapphires. Oh, so yeah. that's obviously a, an Easter egg that ties this whole thing together. It's also like um, in yeah, never mind. Scratch that. Consider it scratched. <laughs> Bring, uh, we should bring Mr. Mr. Ages in here. Mr. She Ages. has pneumonia. <laughs> so just don't talk unless you have to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Only when you have a really impactful thing. <laughs> Mason, do it since Chelsea is sick. Right. She's not allowed. I'm done.